Well, good morning, Cornerstone. It is wonderful to see you. I should have done this earlier, but if you're new, I'm Jamie. I'm one of the pastors here at Cornerstone. Uh, it is my ongoing privilege and honor to, op- to invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Samuel, the book of 1 Samuel. That is towards the front of your Bible. If you don't have a Bible with you here, there's one under the chair in front of you. You will find 1 Samuel 26 on page 220. No, 249. 249. We are, uh, we are working on, uh, Lord willing, two, two chapters this morning, chapter 25 and chapter 26. We're going to be doing something a little different this morning. We're actually going to be starting in chapter 26 and then going back to chapter 25. So we'll start in chapter 26 and we'll see the effect of chapter 25 on chapter 26. So we'll be reading chapter 26 first. Here's the big idea this morning. The one whose sins have been forgiven will find it easy to forgive the sins of others. The one whose sins have been forgiven by God will find it easy to forgive the sins of others. That's the big idea. So let's read in chapter 26, uh, verse 1 down to 12. And then I'll pray again, ask for the Lord's help on our time together, and then we'll work through this passage together. It should be around 45 minutes or so. This is the word of the Lord. Then the Zephites came to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is not David hiding himself in the hill of Hakalah, which is east of Jeshimon? So Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Zeph with 3,000 chosen men of Israel to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul encamped on the hill of Hakalah, which is beside the road on the east of Jeshimon. But David remained in the wilderness. When he saw that Saul had come out to him into the wilderness, David sent out spies and learned that Saul had indeed come. Then David rose and came to the place where Saul had encamped. And David saw the place where Saul lay with Abner, the son of Ner, the commander of his army. Saul was lying within the encampment while the army was encamped around him. Then David said to Ahimelech the Hittite and to Joab's brother Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, who will go down with me into the camp of Saul? And Abishai said, I will go down with you. Verse 7. So David and Abishai went to the army by night. And there lay Saul sleeping within the encampment, with his spear stuck in the ground at his head. And Abner and the army lay around him. Then Abishai said to David, God has given your enemy into your hand this day. Now please, let me pin him to the earth with one stroke of the spear, and I will not strike him twice. But David said to Abishai, Do not destroy him, for who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? And David said, As the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him, or his day will come to die. Or he will go down into battle and perish. 
The Lord forbid that I should put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. But take now the spear that is at his head and the jar of water and let us go. So David took the spear and the jar of water from Saul's head and they went away. No man saw it or knew it, nor did any awake, for they were all asleep because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen upon them. Father, this is your word. We pray that we as your people would reverence your word rightly in our hearts, in our minds, and even in our bodies, that our ears would be open and that we would receive your word and that you would remove from us distractions and that we would hear what the Spirit is saying to the church today. Do not say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord, and He will deliver you. Proverbs 20, 22. Do not say, I will do to him as he has done to me. I'll pay the man back for what he has done. Proverbs 24, 29. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as depends on you, live peaceably with all. Romans 12, 17 and 18. See to it that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. 1 Thessalonians 5, 15. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. But to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. 1 Peter 3, 8 and 9. Do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek... Turn to him the other also. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Matthew 5, 38 to 41. Then Peter came up and said to Jesus, How often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times but 77 times. Matthew 18, 21 and 22. If your brother sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Luke 17, verse 4. Well, I could go on and on. It turns out the Bible has a lot to say about forgiveness and not repaying evil with evil. This has just been a sampling of all that the Bible teaches on that subject. In fact, some of those verses we read last Sunday, but Paul told the Philippian church to write to you the same things again is no trouble to me and is safe for you. None of us are beyond repeating ourselves, and many of us have to hear something multiple times before it finally sinks in. 
Of course, God knows this about our nature, and so he is kind to give us much playtime on the major themes of the Christian life, like forgiveness, for example. Well, we've come to an interesting section of the book of 1 Samuel. The author is literally repeating himself. In chapter 24, the king of Israel, a wicked man named Saul, is trying to kill the true king of Israel, a man named David. He's been chasing him around the wilderness, and he's not been able to find him. The Lord has delivered the king, King Saul, into David's hands. And while we saw this last week, while Saul was busy doing number two, David had a chance to become number one. You're welcome for that. I worked really hard on that one all week long. And yet, David spared the king's life. He refused to take matters into his own hands. He refused to repay Saul's evil with more evil. Saul realized David's mercy, and he repented. And by the time we get to chapter 26, that was 24, by the time we get to chapter 26, what do we see? Saul's chasing David again. It's almost the very same thing happens. It's like biblical deja vu. Saul, even after his enemy has spared his life and shown him mercy, even after he has admitted with his own lips, David is the true king, he takes up the same fight against David. And the Lord protects David again. The Lord delivers Saul into David's hands again. And David shows mercy to Saul again. Same man, same offense. He took the spear and he gave it back. If you thought the application from last Sunday's passage was challenging, we're just getting started. It's one thing to forgive someone when they screw you over. It is a whole other thing to forgive that same person for the same offense. How's the saying go? Once bitten, twice shy. I don't know how you reconcile that statement with Jesus' statement that we just read in Luke 17 about when your brother sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you and says, I repent, you must forgive him. Well, it seems to me that the Lord's expectation for his children is that forgiveness would come so easily from us, it would flow so naturally out of us that we would be willing to put ourselves into situations knowing full well the danger of the offense that we could suffer, even repeated offense. King Saul's spear has featured prominently in David and Saul's interactions, hasn't it? Those of you who have been with us. With it, Saul has tried to kill David twice. With it, he tried to pin David to the wall while David was trying to serve him. 
And Saul is always seen after that point with his spear. Remember him under the tree with his spear in hand. Well, here we see Saul with his army asleep, and David comes and David takes his spear in the middle of the night, and he had a chance to kill Saul with his own spear. But he doesn't. In fact, as we're going to see at the end of chapter 26, David gives Saul's spear back to him. God's people will take the spear out of the wall, the very spear that was thrust at them to their harm, and hand it back to the person who threw it. Jesus again, if your brother sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you and says, I repent, you must forgive him. How is that even possible? Surely the Lord is using hyperbole. He cannot expect me to forgive someone seven times in the same day, same person. No way. How is that even possible? The apostles had the very same thought as you and I are having right now. The very next verse in Luke 17, so Luke 17 verse 5 reads, the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. (laughs) How are you going to hand the spear back, dear Christian? You're going to need more grace. And thankfully, that's just what the Lord gives us in chapter 25 more grace. So let's turn to chapter 25. First Samuel chapter 25, previous page, 247. Let's pick up reading in verse 1. I'm going to read down to verse 13. Now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him in his house at Ramah. Then David rose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. And there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel. The man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. He was shearing his sheep at Carmel. Now the name of the man was Nabal and the name of his wife, Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. He was a Calebite. David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David sent ten young men. And David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel and go to Nabal and greet him in my name. And thus you shall greet him. Peace be to you. And peace be to your house. And peace be to all that you have. I hear that you have shearers. Now your shepherds have been with us. And we did them no harm. And they missed nothing all the time that they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever you have at hand to your servants and to your son David. When David's young men came, they said all this to Nabal in the name of David, and then they waited. And Nabal answered David's servants, Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and 
my water and my meat that I have killed for my shearers and give it to men who come from I do not know where? So David's young men turned away and came back and told him all this. And David said to his man, every man strap on his sword. And every man strapped on his sword. And David also strapped on his sword. And about 400 men went up after David, while 200 remained with the baggage. Anyone else find it odd that the author has just sort of glanced over the death of Samuel? The very man whose name is on the top of this book of the Bible and the next book in your Bible, the great prophet of God who had done so much for God's people. And he dies, and his death is mentioned almost in passing. Samuel died, the people were sad, they buried him, then David. Why, do you, why is that, do you suppose? I propose that it's because the books of 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel aren't about Samuel. They're about the coming of the king. And when the king takes the stage... Samuel takes to the background. It's a lot like uh, the greatest man who ever lived. Jesus said that John the baptizer was the greatest man born of a woman. And he had a, he was maybe 30-ish years old. He started his ministry. And he had this great preaching ministry. He had this great baptizing ministry. The Bible says that all of Israel was coming out to see him. And as soon as Jesus came onto the scene, John was done. John's ministry peaked the moment that he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. After that, his ministry was done. You remember how John put it, right? He must increase, I must decrease. After Samuel anointed David, his ministry was done because the king took the stage. Nothing else mattered. The king is the main character, so Samuel was in the background. It's interesting because before David's anointing, Samuel's name appears 116 times. And after David's anointing, 13 times. He must increase, I must decrease. Would the same be said of all of our lives? I don't know much about what she did with her life, but doggone it, if she didn't point everyone and everything to Jesus. Chapter 25 isn't about Samuel, so he gets one verse. Chapter 25 is about David. It's about David and a man named Nabal and a woman named Abigail. So we're introduced to Nabal in verse 2. We're told that he is very rich. Before we even learn the man's name, we find out that he's very wealthy. Probably because Nabal's life consisted in the abundance of his possessions. Nabal's name in Hebrew means foolish. Who knows why his parents chose to name him that? (laughs) Maybe it was a clerical error on his birth certificate. I don't know. Maybe it's a nickname. But even his dear wife, a little later on, says, my husband lives up to his name. Verse 3, Nabal is contrasted with his wife, Abigail, 
We're told that she is discerning and beautiful, and he is harsh and badly behaved. The NIV says he's surly and mean. We're also told that he's a Calebite. He's a descendant of Caleb. Now, if you know your Bibles, you know that Caleb is he's, he's a wonderful man in, in, in the biblical story. And so it's true that Nabal lives up to his first name, but it's also true that he doesn't live up to his last name. He is a disappointment. So here's what's going on in, in 1 Samuel chapter 25. Nabal, this rich man, has a bunch of sheep. And David and his men, while in the wilderness, have been providing protection for these shepherds. And they've been providing protection for the shepherds for a while. They've been doing this for free, just offering kindness from one Israelite to another. And when the time of the shearing of the sheep came, so the time of like the harvest for a sheep farmer, David and, and his men send, David sends a delegation during this, sh- this sheep shearing feast and he asks for provisions. Notice in verse 6, his greetings, peace be to you, peace be to your house, peace be to all that you have. And then David makes his request, his petition, and he signs it, your son, David. He's not demanding. He's being humble. He's being polite. Later, we learn all the things that David has been doing for Nabal, and he actually downplays all that he's been doing for Nabal. And how does Nabal respond? Verse 10 and 11, who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are a lot of people who are breaking away from their master these days. So should I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed from my shears, give it to these men? I don't even know where they came from. Mine, 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 mine. Such is a rich man with his riches. Verse 13, how did David respond? <laughs> Boys, grab your swords. Let's go. Hop in the car. We're doing a drive-by. Verse 6, it's peace, 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 verse 13, sword, sword, sword. David's hot. Going to make an example of this fool. What did the apostle James teach us? Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Oh, David. This is the same David who in the previous chapter spared Saul's life. This is the same David who refused to take matters into his own hands in the previous chapter. The same David that repaid Saul's evil with good. William Blakey in his commentary notes, the servant of God may, be, may conquer in great fights and yet be beaten in a small one. Well, this would have been true of David had the Lord not sent a woman. One of the things I love about First and Second Samuel, there are so many godly women these books. 
Abigail does not get a lot of playtime in pulpits. And that is to our own detriment. She is magnificent. Let's keep on reading verse 14. One of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, Behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to greet our master, and he railed at them. Yet the men were very good to us, and we suffered no harm, and we did not miss anything while we were in the fields as long as we went with them. They were a wall to us, both by night and by day. All the while they were with us, keeping the sheep. Now therefore know this, and consider what you should do. For harm is determined against our master and against all his house, and he is such a worthless man that one cannot speak to him. Then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves and two skins of wine and five sheep already prepared and five seahs of parched grain and a hundred clusters of raisins and 200 cakes of figs and laid them on donkeys. And she said to her young men, go on before me. Behold, I will come after you. But she did not tell her husband, Nabal. And as she rode on the donkey, she came down under the cover of the mountain, while David and his men came down toward her, and she met them. Now David had said, Surely in vain have I guarded all that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him, and he has returned me evil for good. God do so to the enemies of David, and more also if by morning I believe so much as one male of all who belonged to him. When Abigail saw David, she hurried and got down from the donkey and fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. So one of the servants of Nabal goes to the lady of the house, Abigail, and says, this is what's happened. Nabal is such a fool that not even his own people respect him. This servant, notice, is comfortable enough in saying to the lady of the house that Nabal's so worthless You can't even talk to the guy. So Abigail loads donkeys with a bunch of stuff and she seeks to intercept David. Verse 21, we learn of David's intentions. Not that they were unclear before, what with all the swords and such. But it's crystal clear now, David plans not just to kill Nabal, but to kill every male in Nabal's house. I mean, Nabal's a bad man, that's sure. But killing dozens of Israelite men for one fool's foolishness? That's a bit of overkill, pun intended. This isn't about purging evil from the land. This isn't about defending the honor of God. This is about defending whose honor? David's honor. Praise be to God, Abigail steps in. Thank God for godly women like Abigail. Let's read her moving intercession for her foolish husband. Verse 24 to 31. She fell at his feet and said, On me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. 
Let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow Nabal. For as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name and folly is with him. But I, your servant, did not see the young man of my Lord whom you sent. Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand, now then, let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as Nabal. And now let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your servant, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord, and evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. If men rise up to pursue you and seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living in the care of the Lord your God. And the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from the hollow of a sling. And when the Lord has done to my Lord all according to all the good that has been spoken concerning you and has appointed you prince over Israel, my Lord should have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause or for my Lord working salvation himself. And when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your servant. I have one question. It's the same question lots of people have been asking of my marriage. How did that woman end up with that man? How does such a discerning, beautiful, godly woman end up with a harsh, badly behaved fool. Perhaps it was a momentary lapse in judgment, as is the case with Sarah Michelle Myers, but not likely the case with Abigail. It's more likely, probably, that this was an arranged marriage. Can you imagine Abigail's life, being married to a fool, and not just a fool, a rich fool, and not just a rich fool, as we will see, a rich fool who likes the drink. It's tough being married to a fool. You ladies were too sweet to amen that, I appreciate that. Yet here we have this woman pleading for the life of her foolish husband. Now, truth be told, she's interceding between two fools. How many precious women have been caught in the middle of warring fools? I suspect there are many crowns in heaven reserved for those cut from Abigail's cloth. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. I wonder if he was thinking about her. 
This is a brilliant speech. Did you catch the bit about slinging of rocks? She knew just how to get to him, didn't she? Consider her method. First, she humbles herself. She fell at David's feet. She uses the phrase, my Lord, 13 times in this speech, giving him honor. Second, she admitted to the wrong that had been done to him. She didn't make excuses for it. She didn't gloss over it. Verse 24, on me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. She hadn't done anything wrong herself personally. But she owned her, her spouse's sin. There was guilt, David. Let it be on me. How differently some of us confess our sins. Well, I'm sorry you feel that way. Abigail owned it. Third, she sought to make it right. She offered him goods in verse 24. Fourth, she asked for forgiveness for, for her husband. Verse 28, please forgive the trespass of your servant. And last, she appealed to David's trust in God. The Lord will establish your house. Prophetically, she uses the language that God himself will use in 2 Samuel 7 about David's house. This woman is remarkable. You will be appointed the prince over all of Israel. Is this how you want to start your reign? She's appealing to the purity of his conscience. Don't take matters into your own hands. Don't try and save yourself. What kind of kingdom do you want to build here? How important are Abigail's to our church, Cornerstone? How useful they are in the hands of the Lord to keep us from destroying ourselves and others. May the Lord give us all Abigail's. Men and women who are humble enough and loving enough to lay down before us and say, okay, listen, look. What happened, it was wrong. But the way you're reacting is it really about Jesus? Because you're, you're acting like it's kind of more about you. May the Lord grant that we would become like Abigail's. David, you're about to become the king. Do you think killing dozens of men because one fool wronged you is the way that you want to rule in this kingdom? You're working salvation for yourself, future king. Remember who slayed Goliath? Who, who steered that rock? The Lord is your refuge, king. Remember that song you wrote about it? Let's see how David responded. Verse 32. David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed be your discretion, and blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt and working salvation with my own hand. For as surely as the Lord lives, the God of Israel lives, 
who has restrained me from hurting you unless you had hurried and come to meet me. Truly by morning there had not been left in a ball one, so much as one male. And then David received from her hand what she had brought to him. And he said to her, go in peace to your house. See, I have obeyed your voice. I've granted your petition. David understood exactly what this was. This is God's providential restraint. The Lord sent you, dear sister. The Lord spared me the blood guilt that would come from me trying to save myself. How many of us are willing to recognize the Lord's rebuke, the Lord's rebuke at the hand of a brother or sister in our church, in our life. David wrote a song about this. Listen to what he says in, in Psalm 141, verse 5. Let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It is oil for my head. Let not my head refuse it. But here, this wasn't a righteous man, mind you. No, this was a righteous woman. In a patriarchal society, with David's army around him, their swords at the ready. He receives the Lord's rebuke from the hand of a woman. And he recognizes it as God's rebuke. How might we respond when rebuke comes to us from the hand of someone that we secretly consider below us? How might we respond when the Lord's rebuke comes to our lives from someone that we secretly consider less mature than us, less holy than us? Or even from someone we don't particularly like. One of the sternest Rebukes I've ever received from the Lord came some years ago from a disgruntled and obstinate bass player of marginal ability. <laughs> and it took me too long to hear it, too long to repent of it, almost destroyed a friendship. But this is how the Lord often brings rebuke. It's served cold with a couple of slices of humble pie on the side. But praise be to God for his providential restraint in our lives. David well understood that God had spared him making a huge mistake, committing a grave sin. And through this godly woman, who was willing to plead for mercy for someone who definitely didn't deserve it. God spared David.
And Abigail's intercession moved his heart, and her work was done. Nabal was spared. But she still had to go home. Fool's still alive. So she went home, and what did she find out when she did? Well, she found a fool doing what a fool does. Throwing himself a party like he's the king. And he's drunk. And he's completely unaware of the mercy that he had been shown. The grace that he had been given. Totally unaware that his wife had spared his life with her intercession. And the Lord had melted David's heart. Abigail doesn't tell him what she did. Because there's only one thing worse than a fool, and that's a drunk fool. In the, in the morning, she tells him, and we read in verse 37, his heart died within him, and the Lord struck him dead ten days later. And now she's a widow. The chapter ends with David taking Abigail as his wife, perhaps for political gain, perhaps out of pity, I don't know, but we read he also took another woman as his wife, that's what kings do, they take. Now this is the third of David's wives, well he has two and a half wives actually because we learned the first wife. Saul's daughter, Michael, who loved him, Saul gave her away when David left. So he's got like two and a half wives. And the author offers us no commentary on David's polygamy. Of course, this was never God's plan. He made one man and one woman in the garden. Polygamy was never part of God's plan. What the author does with polygamy in this story is he lets the events which are occasioned by polygamy be the commentary on polygamy. And I'll just draw the curtain back for you. It's not good. David's lust for women almost ruins him completely and causes great damage. So stay tuned for that story. Now let's go back to chapter 26. As we read at the beginning, Saul has taken up the chase again. David and one of his men named Abishai, they sneak into Saul's camp while everyone's asleep. And Abishai offers to kill the mad king with his own spear. But David stays his hand. In verse 10, we read, as the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him, or his day will come to die, or he will go down in battle and perish. Where did he learn that? He learned that in chapter 25, because that's what happened to Nabal. The Lord returned Nabal's evil onto his own head. David did not have to take up his own honor. David did not have to fight for himself. And so he won't do that now. Takes a spear, climbs a hill, calls out to Abner. So Abner's the guy who's supposed to, his job it is to protect the king. And I'll, I'll summarize David's words. Hey, Abner, aren't you supposed to be protecting the king? Yet who is actually protecting the king, Abner? Sure seems like I'm the one protecting the king. And your negligence is actually putting the king's life in danger. Where's the, where's the king's spear, Abner? 
Where's the bottle of water that he keeps at his nightstand, Abner? Because it's in my hands, not yours. And Saul wakes up, and he recognizes David's voice. Is that you, my son, David? This is deja vu. This has happened before, hasn't it? It's, it's me, king, my lord. The Lord judge between us. Where have we heard that before? Two chapters ago. Verse 19. David says, if it is the Lord who has stirred you up against me, may he accept an offering. But if it is men, may they be cursed before the Lord. Saul recognizes his wrongdoing. He repents of his sin again. Same sin, same man. Verse 21, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will no more do you harm. Because my life was precious in your eyes this day. Behold, I have acted foolishly and have made a great mistake. Where have we heard this before? And then look at verse 22. Come get your spear. David gives King Saul his spear back. And then he says, the Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord gave you into my hand today. And I would not put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. David give, ki gives King Saul his spear back. Did I already say that? David gives King Saul his spear back. You ever been stabbed in the back? Hurts. Jesus healed you though, right? Give the spear back. There's something brilliant that I didn't mention about Abigail's speech. When you read that this week, look for this. He calls David, she calls David to remember the past mercy of God in his life. She calls David to look to the present provision of God in his life. And she calls David to look to the future promises of God for his life. Verse 26, she says, remember how the Lord prevented you from killing Saul? Past mercy. And she says, remember past mercy. And she uses this stunning language in verse 29. She says, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living in the care of the Lord your God. Remember, David, the present provision of your Lord. And then she, she, she reminds him of the promise that God will establish his house, the future promise of God. This is the thing the Lord used to enable David to forgive Nabal. It's the same thing that the Lord used to enable David to forgive Saul for the second time he did the same sin. This is the secret to unlocking forgiveness, Cornerstone. Remember 
past mercies of God. Remember present provision of God and remember future promises of God. Those who know how much God has forgiven them, those who know they are in Christ, safe forever, those who know what awaits them in glory will find it easy to forgive. Those who know future glory hold zero grudges. Everyone in this room has done evil in the sight of God. We have done evil with our hearts, with our lips. We've stained our hands and padded our pockets and wrecked our marriage and ruined our friendships and wounded our loved ones. And no one sees that better and clearer than God. And what did God do for us? He returned our evil with the ultimate good. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to suffer the penalty of our sin. And though he himself was unstained by evil, he became evil for us. And God raised him from the dead and united hell-deserving sinners like us to his son and gifted to our account his righteousness. That's what God did. Here's what God is doing. He has bound your life in the bundle of His care. He is right now at this very moment providing mercy and grace for you. He is protecting and preserving and providing for your life, restraining your heart from evil just like He did with David. There is no need to save yourself. There is no need to defend yourself. The job of savior and defender is taken. And one day soon, you will close your eyes for the last time. And then you will open them and they will behold the unfiltered beauty of the Lord Jesus who got you home. You'll be arrayed in glory and sin and death and pain and sickness and evil and suffering will be no more. And you will have joy at his right hand forevermore. Your future is guaranteed. Those who know the good that God has returned for their evil will return the evil of others with good, 70 times, seven times. Same person, same spear. Remember what God did. Remember what God is doing. Remember what God will do. And give the spear back. Let's pray.